0: Hey, all Welcome to Water Break with Water Boy on Thursday afternoon. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, as you guys have been kind of following what's been going around uh, with Cross you guys already hopefully know that we have fantastic conference plan for Tennessee, and you got to sign up now. Sign up before registration closes. Well, we're expecting a full house. We got uh, on uh, conference kicks off with beer and psalms on Thursday. Evening, and then we slide right into the Friday schedule with uh, Pastor Toby. We have Pastor Vody Bockham speaking on critical sex theory. We have Doug Tenaple speaking on lies and prophetic poets. We have uh, David Bonson uh, speaking on uh, punk rock home ec. And we got, uh, of course, uh, Pastor Wilson uh, speaking on gay pulpit. So that's going to happen Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, we are uh, breaking out into SWAT talks. We got a number of speakers coming in to talk about strategic weapons and tactics uh, for you. Really excited about Saturday's uh, lineup. It's all coming together. We got Sheologians, uh, I'm going to be speaking with some pastors from Canada. Uh, we got uh, Knox, uh, Pastor Toby. You know, we're going to have some breakouts on Saturday, and of course, we'll do a live show Saturday afternoon and f- finish it all off with a good Sabbath dinner Saturday night. So. And that is the conference. Go to flfnetwork.com. Select Tennessee Conference there. Tennessee Conference, flfnetwork.com. The theme of the conference, Politics of Sex. We hope to see you guys there. And, if, of course, if you want to vend there, reach out to us at contact at cross politic, uh, excuse me, contact at fightlifefeast.com if you want to vend at that conference. Uh, also, uh, if you want to subscribe to our magazine, you really have until July 1st to subscribe to our magazine. So now's a good time to subscribe so you get into this current issue that's going to be dropping so subscribe now, and then um, uh, before July 1st, and we'll get you an issue sent out here this this month um, and everything. We have two Fight, Laugh, Feast University courses going on that are starting in the middle of July. We got one on um, Education's Warfare, How to Start a Christian School. That is with Jesse Sumter. I'm really excited about that class. A number of other people will come in to that class also, including Pastor Wilson. I believe Toby might be coming into that class too, and maybe some uh, headmasters of classical Christian schools. Uh, let me kill my do not disturb there, and and then we um, have uh, comedian John Brannion is doing a university fight laugh feast university class on on life is hardy har hard, uh, really excited about both these university classes. It's it's all Zoom, and so you can bring your whole family into that conversation. You can you'll be live with both. Uh, Jesse and John Brannion. So, a great time to fellowship with others on the network and with some of those who are involved with podcasts on our network. So, with that said, uh, I'm excited to uh, bring into our guest, uh, bring our guest into the show, uh, Eugene. I can't say, not allowed to say his last name, but he's a missionary to China for 15 years, a missionary in Peru right now, currently for two years, uh, married uh, with three kids and you can find all about him and his work at tibetandina.com that's t i b e t a n d i n a .com and, and one of the reasons why i wanted to bring him on the show actually uh i've um is kind of what has been going on with covid this last year now eugene has been a missionary in china for 15 years and was basically exported or kicked out of china Uh, and so deported, deported, deported deported out of China. (laughs) And, uh, he, uh, so I, he has a lot of experience and he's also friends with some of my other friends who are missionaries in China who also were deported, uh, of ministering in, in kind of a communist regimes. And what's that like? And, and with everyone, with what we've experienced this last year, watching what's going on in Australia, Canada, uh, with pastors being arrested, you know, my arrest here in Moscow, Idaho for all religious you know some various levels of of religious persecution not as extreme as China of course but uh um so anyways welcome welcome to the show Eugene glad to have you here
1: it's good to be here man and i want to i want to say real quick that the cross politic all the different downloads and shows have been a real blessing to us here in the last year as missionaries um i try to keep up with all the shows and different ones have been a huge blessing and um so really really cool also i was probably the first person to sign up for the education is warfare class Nice. My wife and I are going to go. We're going to go. We're going to go through that just because there's a need um, here in the field as well for for schools of various shapes and sizes to to train the next generation. So we're looking forward to learning from that class as well.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um, maybe before we get into some of your work with China, tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Peru. I mean, obviously you got exported, so you went to Peru and you're working as a missionary in Peru because of your deportation out of China. So maybe just kind of give us a little quick update on what's going on in Peru.
1: Well, just real quick, you know, I came to Peru first when I was just barely out of high school, 19 years old, came on a short-term mission trip to Peru, very young and, and immature in many ways, but the Lord in Peru actually opened the door for me to first visit China. It was where I first um, had an opportunity, had an invitation to go to China, and so Peru and China have been interwoven in my life for like almost 20 years now. Um, I met my wife wow. here, we married here, and then we've served in China for 15 years, and um, and so they've been interwoven when I was in China, when I was deported three years ago from China. Even as I was sitting in my interrogation chair with the police talking to me, I knew that they were going to deport me eventually from okay. that experience. Um, but I also knew, even sitting there, that I had a place to land. I knew God was probably going to send us to Peru for a season. Mm-hmm. So um, it, was, it was comforting to know that that the Lord has a field for us that we can serve and work on here while we're waiting, hopefully, for the open door to China again someday.
0: Yeah, and so you met your wife in Peru, and and you guys got married, and then ended up in China as missionaries. Is that how it went?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a it's a complicated story. This is way back in 2002 is when I first visited Peru and China. Okay. Um, the same year, 2003, I spent a whole year in China, and I taught myself Chinese. I taught myself to to read and to speak Chinese, and I traveled all over the country yep. for a year. And um, then I went back to Peru. I was going to try to say goodbye to Peru to my friends and the churches we worked with, but I couldn't say goodbye. I ended up um, not only not saying goodbye, I ended up getting married in Peru that year. Yeah. And then uh, my wife and I then went back to China together okay. to start um, our life together, really in China. And
0: and so that landed you in China in what 2005 with your wife. 2000, 2004,
1: end of 2004.
0: Okay, wow. And, and um, was that that uh, that was under a Bush administration who'd kind of uh, been more uh, protective of our. Christian missionaries, or, or what What was the relationship like, like there? Why were you able to kind of get in China and, and do what you were doing oh, initially? Things, things,
1: things in China back in the mid-2000s were super easy and open compared to what they are now. It was unbelievable what we could get away with back then. Visas right. were easy to get. All you had to do is show up in Hong Kong, and, and within 24 hours, you could have a one-year visa to China and live anywhere, travel anywhere. Right. Um, and so it was super easy back then. And then over the years, especially after the Olympics, and then 2012 when the new um, – Dictator came into power. Things got um, harder and harder over the last ten years or so. Okay. Um, visas got more difficult for everybody to get, and more more controls, more cameras everywhere, wow. and um, so it got it got a lot tougher.
0: What was the connection with Olympics? Why why did the Olympics uh, cause some tightening of the of the passport belts? Chuck-
1: China was scared to death that somebody would do something crazy during the Olympics, so they started to really control their own people and foreigners in China leading up to the Olympics to make sure nobody was there who was going to do something crazy uh-huh. and um, cause a big fuss on the international scene. Wow. Um, the communists there that they want to look good, they want to look good as best as they can, uh-huh. um, and so they try to protect their own, their own, um, not to lose face, and so they were they were being really strict leading up to the Olympics with visas and passports and stuff
0: wow so did they um were you so you were you there during the olympics we were in china yeah we weren't in beijing nobody could get
1: to beijing it was really hard to even travel that that particular summer wow but um but we were in china that year yeah
0: all right so you and you ended up in china in 2000 you started off kind of with your wife as a missionary in china in about 2004 um what was your initial work and what were you doing in china
1: we um we connected with different folks in china that i mean it's it's a i can't say too much for security but also it's a long story but over the years we did almost everything imaginable to be able to stay and live in china not just as As um, exported missionaries, but as try to be there as as locals, like to live a life there and have our lives built there. My two of my three children were born in China. The third one was born in the States when we were home on just on a short visit furlough. Uh And um, and so we I taught English. We ran a cafe for five years. We um, we I worked for a Canadian businessman for two years in his little company. He started in Western China. Okay. We did all those things kind of as a cover to be there, yep. but then we were sharing the gospel all along, both by word of mouth, one-on-one, in small groups, and then a lot of what we did was literature distribution, um, distributing tracts and Bibles, smuggling Bibles, and distributing the gospel through the, wor- the written word in large swaths of mm-hmm. Western China.
0: Were you part of a church, church plant? What was, what was that?
1: We, not a church plant per se, but definitely part of a church there um, in China, an international church. And also as well as a local Chinese church that we, as much as could be possible, not all Chinese churches, it's possible to really be a member as a foreigner, but we, we definitely uh, tried to be faithful members as much as was permitted by the situation was, we were
0: in. Was it a state sanctioned church or was it an underground church?
1: It's 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 the one I'm thinking of in particular was actually kind of in a gray area. It was officially known by the government, but it wasn't a typical state church. Okay. Um, they had different they had different freedoms in that particular area that other churches don't usually have. So it was a unique situation. But it's gotten tough for them. I've heard oh, really? in the last three years since I've been gone, it's gotten tougher for them. So I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, in that situation.
0: And when when you first were um, a missionary there, you know, you hear stories about how like there's the gospel spreading in china there's uh far more christians than than we realize in china um you know i've heard all sorts of different estimates but it seems pretty pretty significant uh, what what is you know uh, well maybe how many how many christians are there in china what is what is it like to um uh, to bring the gospel to the people are they receiving it you know what what's that whole dynamic like
1: Well, I have to be honest and say that our knowledge of China is limited mostly to Western China, and especially one particular region of Midwestern China. And so China as a whole um, does have tens of millions of Christians, maybe even as much as 100 million, some say. Most of those are located in the east. Um, I don't know exactly the percentage, but the vast majority would be in the central and eastern part of the country. But once you head into Western China, there are... Huge regions where there are very few Christians all, at all, and many, in many cases, none. For um, for many, in for long distances, there's no no churches, no Christians wow. at all. And so, Western China, even where you know, you guys know Wang Yi and Early Rain, you've heard about what's happened there. That they happen to live in a big city which has a lot of Christians, but once you leave Chengdu, once you head out into the mountains from there, yep. it's extremely unreached. There's huge areas where there's no gospel presence whatsoever. Yep in Western China. And so China is really a story of different worlds. East and West is a huge difference.
0: Interesting. What, uh, where was most of your work was on the West side or the East side?
1: Northwest, one particular region. I can't say the name just for security reasons, but I actually, yeah. I looked up some information. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I'm interested to tell you the Northern two counties in Idaho are Bonner County and Boundary County. Those are the two right in the stovepipe of Idaho. Yeah. That the target area where we work primarily in China is the same size as those two counties combined. That's it. Just that okay. one area. Yeah. It's about I forget how many four three or four thousand square miles is our target area. Yeah. The difference is Bonner and Boundary counties have a combined population of about fifty five thousand people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, our target our target area that's the same size has two and a half million people. Wow. Same size as those two counties. Two and a wow. half million people, yeah. and 50 percent of those two and a half million are Chinese Muslims. Yep. So they're not just Chinese; they're also Muslim Chinese. So they're unreached in a, in a, even a different way. Yeah. And how- so that's just uh, just to give you an idea, that's that's the size of area, but with so many people living in thousands of villages scattered all over the mountains.
0: What would you say is the intense. religious breakup of China? You know, is it you know how how is it made up of Christians, Buddhist, Muslims, or or? Communist Party? What would you say that?
1: Oh, the vast majority are non-religious. You know, by by far, non-religious, atheist, communist, whatever you want to call it. But then, um, as far as religions go, Christianity with Buddhism, and then Christianity, and then Islam. Technically, doesn't have so many numbers. It's maybe fifty million total. That's a lot of people, fifty million. But compared to one point four billion, that's still a fairly small percentage. Wow. But um but in Western China the Muslims in many places outnumber the Chinese, um, the normal Chinese people. Wow. And um including in the area like where my son was born and where we live primarily, it's about half and half Chinese versus Chinese Muslim uh-huh. in that particular
0: area. How did how did the Islamic religion make its way into China?
1: Good question. It's been actually
0: hundreds and hundreds of years.
1: Pretty early on, um, Islam came into China, maybe as early as well, definitely by the 13 and 1400s, there was Muslim strongholds in southeast China um, from traders and people that came, explorers and traders. And then it, it began to just take root in China during that time. And eventually, um, in the area of northwestern China, it's been many hundreds of years that they've had millions of Muslims living in those regions. Wow. So it's not something that's just come recently. It's been there for many generations.
0: Is it, is it kind of like, you know, here in the U.S., Muslims are largely westernized, you know, so that, so they don't um, maybe hold on to more of the, some of the more extreme aspects of the Islamic religion? Is that similar to what, what China's Muslim makeup is?
1: I would say yes, but it's not westernized as much as yeah. Chinese, synthesized. It's because they become more Chinese. So in many cases, the Muslims don't act much different than the Chinese. They don't live much different. They might have roots in a different religion and they might um call themselves muslims but many of them are nominal muslims yeah not all many um there are still many millions of them that are very serious they go to the mosque all the time and they they worship in their villages um as much as they can so it's it's a mixture but there's definitely some nominalism there
0: too so what are what does evangelism look like just to the common chinese person who's you know non-religious what you know how do you get into those conversations what what's the apologetic-like with them?
1: It's tough because you don't have any, there's no background, there's nothing they know about. The, I mean, most people don't have any knowledge of Christianity. We used to say this, you know, it's not that they've never heard the name of Jesus before, but they've never heard anything true about Jesus. So mm-hmm. they don't have any true knowledge of him. They've heard the name just in passing. Mm-hmm. And so with most people, you've got to build relationship and begin to share just through um, through common ground friendship and then begin to explain um, how you see the world and how you understand uh, who the creator is. And, um, and of course who Jesus is and, and why he came and how he came with Muslims. It's actually a little easier, honestly, yeah. mm-hmm. than the Chinese because they have wow. some, a uh, shared foundation in believing in a creator God and understanding there's a scripture that we ought to believe in the mm-hmm. wrong scripture, but they understand that, that concept. Right. So Muslims in some ways can be a little easier to kind of get started in a conversation with.
0: Right. Right. What, um, with the the non-religious um where you know how what maybe what's the what's the sociological kind of makeup of the non-religious you know in other words um uh are are is there a lot of depression in china what are some of the kind of you know maybe cultural sins that have kind of grown up because there's been no christian influence there
1: you know it's hard to say they there's definitely some depression. There's a lot of focus on work and on making money that becomes their God. I've, I've met Chinese people and they were almost, it was almost a funny conversation. It was sad. It would be, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Let's put it that way, that um, they would talk about, I would talk about God and do you believe, are you a Christian? Do you have any, any knowledge of Jesus or whatever the question might be? And they say, they'd almost mock and laugh and say, God it's I believe in money. And they will hold their hands out and and um, money is, my God, just blatantly, like, uh-huh. I'm living for that and that, all, that alone. Wow. There's a lot of a lot of materialism in China, which is ironic because communism yep. should be something other. It should be something different, right? But yeah. people nowadays are purely trying to live it up and have a good life, have money, have education. And education serves to get more money, to get a good job, and to get money. Right. If it wasn't for those things, um, people probably wouldn't hold the line in China as they do as far as, Um, allowing the communists to stay in control because as long as they have money, they're kind of, they don't want to rock the boat, but if they didn't have the money, there would be some sort of revolution probably.
0: Now what's the economy look like? How do I don't think of China as a very rich nation in terms of, you know, the middle class.
1: Well, that's the thing. The middle class is what's grown tremendously over the last 20, 30 years. And um, China has a huge middle class now and they don't make the same salaries you'd make in a Western country, but they can purchase more with it because goods are cheaper. Typically, um, you know, we can still go in China and buy a nice lunch for a dollar, you know, or two dollars maybe if you want to splurge a little bit yep. um, in in restaurants all over. So you can buy more with your lower salary. So there's a huge middle class that's burgeoning there, and um, and I think again, if that that wasn't the case, or if the middle class all of a sudden became dirt poor again, mm-hmm. there would be major disruption in China's um, control of their people. I think.
0: So, kind of geopolitically what's going on with China with the United States um, It seems like there's some underpinning some some stuff starting to simmer between the United States and china
1: i don't follow it as much as I did when I was actually living there, of course, yeah. but i and it's hard to get a get an idea of what the locals are actually thinking and talking when you're not there either. Just hearing their their daily. You know, I first arrived in China to live for a year in 2003. Yep. It was right. I was there during the SARS epidemic pandemic <laughs> back in 2003. Okay. I was I was there that same month. Um, was the month that the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003. Okay. And China China made a huge deal about that, trying to put a U.S. look in a really bad light. They had um, in the city squares and the plazas of all the cities, they would have huge Um, TV screens, like just massive like football stadium screens. Mm -hmm. And they would show videos of children that were bleeding and people and just trying, and they would and they would say in big letters, America attacks Iraq. And it was trying to make us look. And so I was there during all of those things. And you could really feel the the atmosphere um, being pushed in against the US and against the people. So I don't know how they're doing right now because I'm not there to kind of hear the, the talk yeah. on the trains and the buses and stuff. Yep. But I know there's definitely some, um, I think China overall right now probably feels relieved that we have a certain president in office um, <laughs> who's not going to do much. Yeah. Honestly, they have, to, they have to feel relieved that they know they can control the narrative now. They know that they can kind of get away with whatever they want. So yeah. they've got to feel relieved. At least the communists have to feel relieved.
0: Okay. So you were, you were there for 15 years. You got um, extradited kicked out of China. Um let's kind of walk through, you know, your your that process. Um uh what year did you get kicked out and was that was there any connection between you know Pastor Wang Yi early rain all that stuff?
1: No connection with him. It happened the same year or two in in a similar context. Both of us we all lived in Western China and Western China has Stricter laws, stricter rules against religion that's enforced more strictly than Eastern mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. Um, and so it all it all had connections with that. But it was completely different circumstances. I was actually caught red-handed with um, <laughs> with a trunk full of Bibles and tracts that were really um, going to be going to be distributed the following week, and mm-hmm. we had been distributing them the week previously. And somewhere, the police caught on camera um, the license plate of the rented van that we were driving with this team that we had with us and they traced the plate of the van in a city of 3 million people, um, to one particular alleyway. And they were able to ask around and, and find our apartment, uh-huh. which was still another block away from the alley. And they were able to come to our door one evening on a Monday evening and basically knock on the door and said, Hey, you need to come with us. Wow. And, um, and so it was interesting because the police, uh, lied to me okay. to get me out of the house. They, okay. they, they, they first made up a story and said, someone's broken into your van. And uh, you need to come with us and tell us if anything's missing or whatever it was. And so I didn't know if they were lying or not. Mm -hmm. I grabbed my keys and went with them. And when we got to the car, it was pretty obvious. They just wanted me to open the back to see if they could find any evidence against me, which there was evidence there. And um, so I was caught immediately and and taken into the police station for a night of interrogation.
0: Okay. Um, So cops were tipped off that you had Bibles in the back of your van? That's where it started? Well, no.
1: What had happened is is they the, the villages where we had gone the previous week and distributed tracts and Bible portions to thousands of homes um, the previous week, somebody in one of those villages, maybe the local communist um, authorities, whatever, got angry probably and said, who did this? We're going to find them. And so they started to search in the camera systems for who might have done it, and they were able to find our van's um, plate number um, through the camera system. And so, I think it was actually the religious bureau of our province, the religious bureau, uh-huh. the bureau that controls religion, that did the 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 homework and was able to search and find us um, uh-huh. through the camera system uh uh-huh. and, and and you so,
0: you mentioned earlier that the camera system uh has really grown a lot in China, the camera surveillance systems um, yeah. and, and it sounds like they got some pretty crazy technology where where they got and they got cameras all over the place where they can grab your little plates and all that stuff what's what's the what, what's going on? There? It's crazy.
1: It's, it's everywhere. You can't go anywhere now without being on camera somewhere um, on random highways. Every, every entrance and exit from the freeway expressway has cameras. Wow. Literally every place you go, every village you go into and out of um, going into and out has cameras. Um, so we we were being really careful with our teams. We, we, we learned that and uh, we knew to be careful. But I made a couple of took a couple of chances that I shouldn't have taken. Probably I know where it was even. Yep. And I think that's what got us into trouble because what we ought to have done is is kept the vehicle on the main highways where there's traffic all the time and there's no way to really know. And then the team would have had to walk further to get to the villages that they needed to get to. Yep. Instead, I drove them a little closer. We we tried to get them closer to where they needed to be, but that also put us in, in the camera's sight. So wow. I think I know where we made the mistake. But, yeah, um, yeah the cameras have gotten better.
0: And sure. so So they took you into the interrogation room uh over overnight to interrogate you with uh, with your about what you're doing in china and so forth what happened there
1: well it, it took all it took almost all night for them to get through all the questions that they wanted me to answer and all the things they wanted me to, to wanted to talk about and um it was pretty intense um i know once they took me in and once they they took all the literature out of the back of the van they took me they took a mugshot of me standing next to this literature and i kind of remember i remember i stood there and smiled because i thought i can't i can't be sad for a mugshot with bibles you know it's not yeah. like i'm really sad for doing what i did i'm not i'm not repentant of that yeah so i smiled for the smiled for the mugshot, and um but then i remember them saying come with us we're going in this way and they pointed to this little room this little building in the back of the parking lot and i remember thinking in that one moment oh man please don't lock me in a prison cell you yeah. know i remember that's that's the that's the thought that came into my head yep. and um and they took me in, and they sat me in a in an interrogation chair. Luckily for me, as a foreigner, they didn't lock the chair, they didn't handcuff me. Yep. But I sat in this chair at the back of the room, and then spent the next seven or eight hours just answering questions or refusing to answer questions. Yeah. Um, as they took they took turns drilling me all kinds of questions, just back and forth. Yeah. Um, probably anywhere from six to eight different cops took turns at one point or another to talk to me and to come in through the the place from, yep. from really high up folks, um, down to this little peons who didn't know what they, they were just in there just trying to pass the time.
0: Yeah. So that's funny. What, um, uh, but, uh, what did the cops, what, what were they, what were they actually sorting for? What are they looking for in, in all this? I mean, they know, they know you had Bibles in, in your car and so forth, but like, what, what are they really trying to get at?
1: Yeah. You know, it was, it was interesting and they they had a couple of things they really wanted. They wanted to know who I was with, so what other people were on my team because yep. they knew there wasn't yep. just me, yep. and so they wanted to know about my team. And that was one of the things that I was in under no circumstance going to tell them anything about yep. my team. And um, and this actually gets into one of the things that I originally we, we discussed before doing the show is I, I, a few weeks ago you and um, you and the guys were talking on the show about what to say to a police officer, hypothetically, someday if they come to take your guns away.
0: Yep.
1: And uh, yep. and you, the idea of, well, they, they fell in the lake, right? Oops, they fell in the lake. And then um, Knox mm-hmm. said something that was actually a little more realistic. He said, well, you can't just say I don't have any guns. you got to have something to give them. you yep. got to give them something or else it just looks suspicious yep. or or they're going to be more suspicious of you. Yep. And that got me thinking. And um, in my case, so what I had to do is they they wanted to know, who is your team? Where are they? How many are they? So if I wouldn't tell them where they were staying, then the next question was, well, how many are they? Yep. And um, and I and I almost answered the question actually. I thought, well, what's it going to hurt to tell them how many? And then I realized, well, they can identify them easier yep. if they know how many to look for in the computer systems or in the train station or whatever it is. Right. And then I, and then I thought to myself, well, what do I what do I say? If I say I'm not going to tell you at all they're going to just look at the size of the vehicle and probably just guess, well, if the vehicle has seven seats, there must be um, right. him plus six of them. Right. And so and that that happened to be the right number. And right. so in that in this is all going through my head in a short amount of time. And I thought to myself, you know, I've got to actually, I've got to lie to him uh-huh. on purpose yeah. to protect these people. I don't want them to, to know the right number. Right. I don't want them to guess the right number. Right. I want to protect my people. And right. so I, I looked at him and I kind of lowered my head, and I said, um, and he said, "Come on," he told me, "You could, you can tell me the truth. You're a Christian, yeah. right? You can tell me the truth." Yep. And that they use that they use that line to try to get you to talk. The, yeah. You're a Christian. You're supposed to tell the truth, right? Yep. And so I kind of acted like I was really struggling to say the truth, and then I came out and I told him a different number than what was true, and as if I was giving up the truth, right? Yep. I just kind of faked it. Yeah, and um, and so they took that number and kind of ran with it, and they're try- they're looking in their computer, trying to run the numbers and find my team, yep. find where they could be staying at the hotels, and um, and praise God, they never, they never found the team, wow. and um, I didn't know if they would or not, but they were actively trying to do an investigation. Where are these people? We know they're around here somewhere, right? But they couldn't locate them, yeah, and how- um, and so the team was able to escape, yeah. But
0: how did you, you know, thinking through this. You know, looking back on your time in China, uh, you were there for 15 years. Um, What did you kind of learn from that experience? And then maybe start, let's kind of maybe get into, you know, how you're sensing what's going on with the U.S. and Canada and how maybe that connects to China.
1: Well, first I'll say, you know, over the years in China, we had many, many teams we hosted. Um, Some were there doing personal evangelism, you know, English corners and English classes, some were there just to help us smuggle Bibles. Some were there to help us just distribute these tracts and different things. A lot of the things they did were risky things. So we always taught the teams: this is what you say if you if you if you get arrested, which is possible, don't tell them these certain things. Do tell them these things. You can tell talk all all day about what you personally have done. Like take the blame yourself, but do not get any of your teammates in trouble and your team your leaders right. don't talk about them. So we we've trained countless people on those kinds of things. Yeah. And so when it came to me, it was like, well, here we go. You know, it's me now I'm, I'm in the hot seat. This is my job. My job tonight in this interrogation is to take, I'll take it all myself. I'll take the blame, whatever. whatever. I didn't do anything wrong, but I'll take the the consequences, but I'm not going to put anybody else at risk because um, I just want to get off easier or have an easier night. And so I had to kind of step up and, and do that. And, um, and so I do see some similarities between what the Canadian brothers are going through. It's a different situation yeah. where they still have the they still have the law on their side, you know, and yeah. they have popu- some popular support on their side, right. and just common sense on their side. You know, it's it's a different ballgame when you're in a true communist country. Right. But um. But uh. Yeah. It's uh. I do see similarities in how they're 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 willing to be arrested, for the gospel's sake as long as they it is protecting their own people mm-hmm. as well and, and not putting not pushing it off on somebody else here right. i'm too i'm too important to get arrested you go get arrested and right. i'm going to go hide and, and i'll teach right. on zoom right. you know they could do that yep. but that's um they they're, they're willing to stay you know what yep. this is i'm i'm the one that's um the visible president. i'm the leader i'm going to take it and i'm going to be the one to proclaim and testify in front of everybody
0: does, does China use, like, uh, you know, because what's gotten us in trouble here in the U.S. and Canada is they're using kind of public health ordinances, stuff like that. Um, ha, does China use that kind of technique to, you know, oppress or get the citizens to do what they want?
1: Well, un- unfortunately, this whole last year or so, I'm sure they've used that to close churches or to forbid yeah. churches from meeting right. even more than they used to do. So it's it's always a good excuse to have. Yeah. No, but um, in, in China... That They will almost never tell you that you, you, it's illegal to be a Christian or it's illegal to say the name of Jesus. You're always breaking some other rule. The rule you're breaking is um, you're disturbing the peace, really. Uh-huh. If you're a Christian in, a, in an area of China that has a lot of Muslim people, a lot of Tibetan Buddhist people, uh-huh. and you're a Christian and you're sharing the gospel, the first thing they'll say is you're disturbing the peace. Wow. There's peace between these religions here, and you're trying to stir up strife. Mm-hmm. Um just by sharing Jesus right in the gospel, and so they they use that as the kind of a first thing is you're disturbing the peace we can't allow that you're not allowed to do that. you have to stop um or we'll arrest you, we'll deport you whatever it might be
0: right what um uh is is the what are the conditions that have kind of brought china um uh, well let me put it this way um how strong are churches there are there you know you you hear about pastor Wang Yi, but are there other pastors or churches that are um, you know, standing up.
1: Not not as many as you would hope for. Um, I know there are. I know I was I was in Kuala Lumpur a year ago mm-hmm. um, at the big conference they had just before the pandemic kind of really hit hard, and there were thousands of Chinese believers that came to Malaysia for this gospel conference, and it was amazing. So I know they're there, mm-hmm. but they're you know compared to the size of the nation and the population, um, it's it's still pretty small. I guess the the, the truly faithful ministers. Now there are a lot of underground churches and pastors that we don't know about or even have contact with. Right. That are that are just maintaining what they've always done underground. I'm yep. um, out of sight, and yep. so I can't speak for them or against them. But we pray that they are remaining faithful, yeah. even in the even in these times.
0: You know, um, I mean, obviously God uh, usually judges countries like this and breaks their hands and 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 all that stuff. What do you think it's going to take for China to to Change. I mean, is is a political uh, repentance? I mean, what what is going to break China?
1: It's you know, a few years ago, a lot of us thought China was opening, opening more and more, and that it looked like they were going to relax some of the rules and, and allow China to religion to be more open and more free. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case at this point, at mm-hmm. least for the foreseeable future. But that might actually be for the best because a lot of us, whenever we thought imagined China opening, um, and becoming more Western, yeah. the thought immediately was: "Is well, yeah, that that's good in one sense that the, there's free free uh, movement of the gospel." And but at the same time, it, it's it it would be ripe for um, lukewarm Christianity to uh-huh. grow in that kind of environment. Yep. And so the fact that there's still pressure, China's still a pressure cooker. Yep. I think means that the, the people who are being faithful, the believers there, they're, they're going to be stronger than we are. They're going to be more faithful. They're going to have deeper roots than their Western counterparts. And so, again, we don't know how things are going to turn out in the end, but um, ultimately China is going to be reached by people and faithful ministers who have deep, deep roots that have, that have lasted all these decades of communism, mm-hmm. and that when the right doors open and the opportunity arises, the gospel will be planted and it won't be easy to uproot and it will never be uprooted and it will Amen. eventually Amen. um christianity will last when when communism has been long forgotten let's put it that way
0: yeah how do you, how does china for the uh, uh, ignorant american here how does china get a new president
1: <laughs> <laughs> man i don't know at this point um the their current dictator has Kind of um, got himself in, and he's not going any, anywhere soon. So uh, we can pray imprecatory prayers, I guess, that, uh-huh. that he, he he croaks like you know some of the Bible characters we know about that that, yeah. that didn't that the Lord took out. So uh, other than that, I don't know. Other than old age or the Lord taking him out, I don't know what happens. Honestly, mm-hmm. there's not a system in place where they can just vote for a new for a new right. guy, right? So
0: how, how did he get in power in the first place? Like what it, it, you know how does the transition happen
1: with within the communist party? There are factions typically, you know, there's a conservative and a liberal faction. Okay. And so back when he came in, he was able to kind of just garner the support to get elected as the head of the communist party, which okay. means by default you're the head of the nation because that there's only one party. Yep. And, um, but once he got in, he was even more hardline conservative, communist conservative than re- people realized. And so he began to, um, oust all of his enemies anybody who was even partly against him and so he's taken full control of the party in the last um 8 to 10 years wow, what, whereas um
0: what do you, what do you mean by conservative he's he's hardline conservative
1: well conservative within a communist paradigm means you're like ultra communist right so conservative communist so liberal commu- a liberal communist is a is a capitalist a liberal communist is somebody <laughs> okay. who's more like a so it's kind of backwards in that in that idea. Yeah. So he was. There were previous communist leaders who were becoming more open to the society, yeah. more liberal in that traditional sense. Right. And uh, the current president has gone conservative. He's trying to be more like Mao Zedong and less like um Oof. and less like a modern yeah yeah a modern. Um, would be.
0: Yeah. So where, where do you go from here? I mean, how do you get back into China? Obviously I know you, you've, you spoke, you said that to me before your heart's desires to get back to China. What is what they,
1: is, they they officially gave me a five-year ban that night yeah. after that whole night and all the, all the back and forth. And I was, there's a whole lot of things I had to just tell them, no, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you. And um, after that whole night was over, um, it was, I was really shocked actually, because I, I wasn't very cooperative with them. Okay. But they told me at the end of the night, they actually said, "Thank you for being so cooperative." That's what I was told, and okay. I was like, "Wait, maybe I, maybe I did something wrong." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't don't say trying that. to be cooperative. Yeah, but but no. Um, a few weeks later, when I finally had to leave the country, and they escorted me, I had four escorts um, to go to the airport. Um, I had to travel by train for three hours, um, and then go to the airport and fly out. I had four escorts go with me the whole way, and wow. on the way there, they, they pulled me into a security office at the train station, and they read to me my my verdict, my my um,
0: five years punishment or whatever, or whatever it was.
1: Right. Yeah, and it, and it yeah, and it, and I heard that was the first time I heard the word five years. Okay, and so when I heard them read that, I knew what it was. I didn't know it could have been ten, it could have been lifetime. Yeah, when I heard five years, I was actually happy. Yeah, because that's not very that's not very long in the big scheme of things. Right. So
0: so. Um, if they track everything, how do you get back in? they're gonna know you're gonna come back in.
1: Uh, who knows they, you know it depends on who's looking. my my whole ordeal was mostly done within the provincial level, of that one particular province, that right. one particular city. Okay. And so if I go apply for a visa here in Peru or in America somewhere, right. it's not like they're gonna immediately have all the archives right right in their table of everything I've ever done right And so um, it'll be it might be tricky to get back in. We'll see it might right now it's tricky for everybody to get in. Um, so nobody can get in easily now. So we'll see how it is in two more years and well, I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot.
0: What are your, um, closing thoughts on, uh, you know, what happened with Hong Kong this last couple of years? Um, how does that going to impact, uh, access to China? You know, what's going on there? Oh,
1: uh, I mean, Hong Kong in many ways, it's a lost cause in the sense of, you know, we can't. We can't use it as we once did for kind of like a, a base for missions, not not like we did previously. So in that sense, many you know many really smart people, um, smart missionaries, have stopped using Hong Kong already many many years ago. Yep. Um, I've got I've got friends who haven't set foot there in in years because of security um, concerns. Yep. And so that's really just kind of come to the forefront. Nobody can really safely think they're safe in Hong Kong anymore. Mm-hmm. We used to really feel that way, and it, and it really was fairly safe there. Mm-hmm. So that's the main issue for Christians, is Hong Kong is a different place now compared to what it was. It's it's much more like a large Chinese city than than, than it ever has been before.
0: As a missionary, um, you, need, you need stuff. Obviously, you need resources. You're in Peru right now. How, um, what is kind of your main needs uh, for what's going on in Peru right now?
1: Well, you know, in Peru, there's been uh, a lot of um, poverty um, even exacerbated because of the pandemic stuff. And so we've we've been helping a ton of people this year with food, but also with Bibles and tracts and just getting the, the word into people's hands um, as they go through this time. If anybody's interested in helping with that, if they go to Tibetandina.com, you can email me there. But Tibetandina is actually a ministry where we're working to train Peruvian missionaries okay. to go to the unreached nations. Uh-huh. And so that's the primary thrust of that website. And our ministry here is training future missionaries for the really hard places in Asia mm-hmm. um, that are that are unevangelized
0: so, so that's that's tibetandina.com t i b e t a n d i n a tibetandina.com
1: yep one one thing i wanted to mention is just kind of ironic all the yep. canadian uh, stuff that's going on with the canadian pastors my dad and i had an experience 5 years ago we we drove our, our car from oklahoma where i'm from originally we drove to vancouver canada with a trunk full of of Chinese tracks, we had people to see on the way. We were going um, through the West. We actually went through Moscow. My first time in Moscow, Idaho, oh, really? was that trip, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and I had we had hundreds of pounds of Chinese tracks in the back of my little car, as we entered um, into Canada, Vancouver, Canada, from Washington State. The 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 Canadian border police stopped my dad and I. And they searched our whole vehicle because of the Chinese tracks we had in our vehicle. Oh, wow! Yeah. And um, they didn't—they didn't know what it was at first. And I t- when I told them what it was, I said, "It's Chinese tracks. We're flying to China later today." The the uh, I almost said the communist Canadian police, and it was. They literally told me. They said, um, "You're not allowed to take Christian literature into China, are you?" And I said, "Well, what does that have to do with you?" And they said well, if, if, if you're willing to smuggle these things into their country, how do we know you're not smuggling illegal things into our country? <laughs> and and I, said, I said, well, first of all, you're not communist. That's why I don't worry about taking them into Canada. Yeah. And, um, and, um, but they almost didn't let us through. They literally kept us at the border for a couple hours. Wow. They searched every one of the boxes of tracks, um, opened all the, there's thousands of tracks lying on the, on the, on the ground. This lady yep. was having to put them all back in the boxes for us. And we almost missed our flight from Vancouver to China, my dad and I, um, wow. because of the Canadian border control there wow. um, being suspicious about our intentions. It was pretty wild, and that was five years ago.
0: That is amazing. Any any closing thoughts that um, you, we can follow you um, through your website, um uh, dot Any other any other closing thoughts where we can follow you at? No
1: I, I will just say this um, at the website we put in a little uh, a little form there if you want to read the whole story of what happened with me in in China it's a six part six chapter series I wrote last year when I was locked down here in Peru okay and um, you can you can download that at that website it's free you just put in your name and email whatever and it'll send you the the link to the six part it'll I, it has all the all the details of the interrogation and all the things that wow. happened. Okay. It, it, and so yeah it's a pretty long read it's like seventy pages worth. Okay,
0: tibetandina.com, and from there you can get to his uh, kind of uh, little mini uh, electronic book on how uh, Eugene got deported from China, and that was, uh, what, 2018?
1: 2018. 2018.
0: Deported from China, exported to Peru. To Peru. Well, thank you so much, Eugene, for coming on the show, Uh, tibetandina.com. Uh, Make sure you guys uh, go there, visit it, check it out, follow him. I think you can get connected to social media there, too, um, uh, through his website, uh, Tibetandina.com. Sign up for the conference. We look forward to seeing you guys in Tennessee. Uh, Until next time, love God and go fight, laugh, and feast.